Hello and welcome to the In All Seriosity podcast. I'm Patrick Fueling and with me is Matt Mizak, and we are part of the leadership team here at Grace Community Church. Matt, how you doing? Hey, what's up? So today, Matt, we're going to get into uh, the question of, is God sovereign over all or do we have free will to make choices uh, with what we do in our lives? So Matt, when you were growing up as a young lad, <laughs> where did you fall on the spectrum? Did you fall on the side that... Uh, you know, that we have choices that we make and, and that's what's going to determine our outcomes? Or did you fall more on the side that, you know, God's in control of everything? Yeah, I think for me growing up, I was always kind of naturally bent towards the idea of God being in control of things um, from even the smallest of things. Um, when we prayed as a family, we would often thank God for seemingly very small things that like he orchestrated even just you know a really simple one is just like when certain family members would come over or like if my brother ever came home from from Wyoming we would pray you know thanking God for bringing that person here so even really small things like that um and then when I went to Moody that kind of cemented that because Moody's a very Moody's is not a Calvinistic school, but they're fairly, they're like unofficially a Calvinistic school. Uh, so that was kind of reinforced. So yeah, that was probably where, how I grew up and uh, probably up until fairly recently. So Yeah, and a lot of people think of, as you mentioned, Calvinism or Arminianism, and these are parts of both of those uh, mm -hmm. uh, thought processes. Uh, what the probably are our far extremes of each one of these thought processes. Yeah. And what we want to hopefully explore a little bit today is, um, it, you know, that that's not really the case, that there's really kind of, uh, they go together. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately that uh, they, they often get separated and, and segregated, uh, but they really kind of go hand in hand is what we'll hope to uh, point out. Uh, what did, uh, what did, how did you grow up? I grew up, I think the same way, thinking okay. more that, um, you know, God is in control of everything. Uh, he gives us choices that we can make or the, the ability to make those choices. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I, I would lean a lot, I guess, a lot more toward um, no matter what I did, God already knew he was going to, I was going to do that whether, okay. and what I did or didn't do. Yeah. So before we get into a couple examples, Matt, we're going to talk a little bit about Joseph and, and uh, Pharaoh. Um, do you have an analogy maybe that uh, might put this into perspective to uh, start us off? Yeah. So I think I could live the rest of my life using analogies based on one quarter um, because... Quarter mean the coin? The coin, yeah, a coin or a quarter. It doesn't have to be a quarter, but yeah. usually that's the most common one. Uh, I'm holding up a Virginia coin uh, made in 2000, and I'm holding one side up to Pat, and I'm holding one side up to me. You guys won't be able to see this, but uh, Pat, how would you describe... Uh, this coin? Well, it looks like a uh, Cavalier ship from the okay. uh, state of Virginia. Okay. Uh, yeah, anything else? No, it's hard to see that far yeah, away. But... Yeah, I'm kind of holding it far, <laughs> and you're old, so. That's true. Um, from my perspective, uh, it is, is this George Washington? Is it, It's an old dude with a, a white curly wig hair. Uh, is this Is George Washington on the quarter? I feel like I should know this. You don't know your history, Matt? No, not at all. <laughs> so. Well, that would actually be uh, our first president, George Washington. That's what I said, right? Yeah. Uh, and then if we had a third person in the room, I would hold it up 
kind of up and down uh, with the ridges pointing at them. And I would ask them to describe the quarter. And they would basically say that it looks like a straight line up and down with some indents or some ridges in the middle. Um, And what I think that this shows us um, is that depending on your perspectives and depending on your points of view on certain things and depending on what you're looking for, um, you can come up with some very different conclusions. So to Pat, this coin looks like a ship. To me, it looks like a face. And to somebody else, it looks like a line. Um, but really, none of those by itself make up what the coin is. The coin is composed of all three of those descriptions. And it's only when we put those things together that we actually get a full sense of what the coin would be. Because, you know, if I cut this coin in half, somehow... Uh, <laughs> I don't know how I would do that. But if I got this coin in half uh, up and down and just gave Pat the the cavalier side and I took the head side and we tried to pay for something with this, nobody would take this. I mean, maybe we could fool like a a high school cashier that wasn't paying attention. But nobody would take this. We would never do that, of course. Never. Uh, Nobody would take this because it's not the full coin, even though from Pat's perspective, the cavalier is the only thing that he can see. Um, so it's only when we put all of those descriptions together that we can see and actually understand the fullness of the coin. And it's really similar with the, with scriptures and with the Bible, um, that if you're looking for the verses that talk about the cavalier, you can certainly find them, uh, and you can kind of ignore the rest of them. And if you're looking for the verses that have a face on it, you can kind of ignore the cavalier verses, but... It's really important to realize that they're both present, and that, and we have to understand that. So let's take a little de- dig a little deeper with that, Matt. Let's take the story of Joseph in Genesis thirty-seven, yeah. and um, you know the you know big picture of the story is you know Joseph um, gets you know his, his brothers are jealous of him, his brothers get angry with him, uh, they throw him in a pit, uh, they sell him into slavery. Um, you know he yeah. goes to. Uh, um, Potiphar's house, he finds good graces, then Potiphar's wife finds him attractive. Yeah. Long story short, she tries to come on to him, he rebukes her, he gets thrown in jail, and then at the end of the day, he finds favor with Potiphar down the road. So That was a good summary. Yeah, thanks. That was from memory, too. Thanks. Yeah, that was uh, impressive. Sometimes I can do those <laughs> things very well, sometimes I can't, but in this instance here, Matt, let's take, uh, the, first, let's take the first thing in terms of uh, Joseph gets thrown into a pit. Who's responsible for that? Yeah, it would be. I mean, it would be the brothers of Joseph. They threw him into the pit, right? Yeah. So God has no uh, oversight into that process at all. Uh, no, not necessarily. Uh, but I think his brothers threw him into the pit, and his brothers sold him into slavery. Um, and they, I mean, that's just what the, kind of the scripture says. It says, you know, the brothers threw him into the pit, um, and his brothers were the ones that sold him into slavery, and Potter's. Potiphar's wife is the one who put him into prison. Uh, Potiphar himself is the one who brought him out of prison after he interpreted his dreams um, and put him in charge, second in command, of the food distribution during the famine. So it seems like the human agents in the story are responsible for all of these things. And that goes back to, again, um, our kind of 2D, 3D explanation. If we were just looking at it from that perspective, yep. Um, you know, you may think, well, yeah, you know, his brothers were the cause of this and Potiphar's wife was the cause of uh, him getting thrown back in jail. Um, but, you know, God also talks later in Genesis that, uh, you know, what 
you meant for evil, you meant for good, to bring out bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today in Genesis fifty. Yeah. So again, this goes back to adding these things together and looking at it from the different perspectives. So instead of looking at it from the George Washington side of it versus the Cavalier side of the quarter, yeah. but putting this whole thing together, um, you see it's it's a combination of both. So can you talk a little bit more about that, Matt, of how this when you look at it as a whole, we see both avenues here. Yeah, yeah. So Again, I don't know if we'll understand how this works. I don't think we will. Um, but it's very important to realize in that verse that Pat just read, Genesis 50, verse 20, which is after his family comes to Egypt and, and Joseph is kind of addressing his family, he says, you meant evil against me. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. So who like who meant these things to happen? Who meant all of what's just happened in the last 15 chapters of Genesis to happen? Well, from from Joseph's own mouth, it's there's two parties responsible for 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 what's happened to him. And the first is Joseph's family, um his brothers, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, all these things. And then the second party is God, and and he holds these two things. Who meant who meant all of these things? And it's both. There's no, Joseph doesn't say, well, you thought you meant this, but God actually did. Or you chose this, so God changed his plan accordingly. It's just you meant this and God meant it. Um, Both people, both parties are held responsible for what's happened to Joseph. So let's take a look at Exodus 7, Matt, where um, we're talking, er, the Bible's talking about Pharaoh, and you know, verses 3 through 4 say, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my people, the Israelites. So in that case there, who is the one that is hardening Pharaoh's heart? Is it God? Is it Yeah, it, it's, this is a really famous story, and this story troubles so many people. Um, but yeah, in, in Exodus 7, before any of the interactions even happen, it, it, it sounds like God is the one who's hardening Pharaoh's heart. Yep. Okay. So, again, if we look at it from a contextual standpoint, and, you just, and we talked about context in a few episodes back, yeah. but if you were to look at this just in that verse, you would think, oh, well, Mm-hmm. You know, God's hardening Pharaoh's because heart. Because that's what it says. Because it's what it says, right? Yep. But when we look at it in a fuller context, what is really happening here, Matt, where, where yeah. both these things come together? Yeah, so the verse Pat just read, Exodus 7, 3, and 4, um, Exodus 9, 12, Exodus 10, 20, Exodus 10, 27. Um, I think it's, uh, off the top of my head, I don't quite recall, but I think it's four times where God is said to be responsible for hardening Pharaoh's heart. And I think it's five times that Pharaoh is held to be responsible for hardening his own heart. Because if you look at Exodus 9.12, it says, uh, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart. So that's one after one of the plagues. And then in Exodus 8.32, it says, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then again in Exodus uh, 9.34, it says something similar. Um, so we have, I think it's five times where God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and four times, or I think I have that backwards, four times where God hardens Pharaoh's heart, and five times where Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? 
Well, it depends which one you're reading, right? <laughs> he goes back to it could be, you know, Pharaoh hardening his own, Pharaoh hardening his own heart yeah. based on choices he made, based on events that are happening around him. Yeah. But then, you know, God also has ordained these events too. You know, so there's, a, again, a, a both end that go together yeah. uh, you know, in this scenario. And if you're just look again, not to go back to the coin. Well, I'm going to go back to the coin. But if you're looking for the, the George Washington verses, you will find them. Uh, because they're there. And if you're looking for the Cavalier verses, they're there. But if you ignore the other the other side of the coin verses, just because it doesn't fit in your categories, that's when we really get into trouble because we're actually twisting the Bible for our own purposes. Um, because the Bible, in the span of like two chapters, these are all in Exodus 7, 8, 9, and 10. So in the span of four chapters, there's there it's it's back and forth it's god hardening pharaoh's heart it's pharaoh hardening his own heart and then back and forth um and so who hardened pharaoh's heart it's god and it's pharaoh somehow it's both and i don't know if we know how that works but somehow it's both yeah it's a very it's a complex you know situation obviously and and it maybe leads to the question you know can events or our prayers change god's mind <laughs> Easy yeah. question for you, Matt. Yeah, this is where I might get into trouble, or we might get into trouble. Um, I've had people ask me if, well, if uh, if prayer doesn't, if God already knows what He's going to do, why do we pray? What's the point of praying? What's the point of talking to God if He's going to do what He's going to do no matter what? Why do we pray for somebody who's sick if God has already determined? whether or not he's going to heal that person. What's the point? And I do think that there is still legitimacy to prayer, just being in a relationship with God, even if that was true. But we see like several situations in the Bible where God changes what he was going to do because of the pleas, the requests, and the prayers of certain people. Um, so I don't know if we want to go through all of these that we have written down, um, but the the first and most obvious one to me is the story of Jonah, where God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and to tell them to that that God is going to destroy the city. And in Jonah chapter three verse twenty, it says that when God saw what they, being the Ninevites, did, how they turned away from their evil. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So he said he was going to do something. There was no conditions attached to that promise in, Je- in Jonah. There was no, if they turn from their evil, I won't do this. All it said is, I'm going to destroy the city of Nineveh. And then, in Jonah 3.20, God says he's not going to do what he said he would do. Did God change his mind? Well, there's something also, Matt, it's called, it's a big word here, so I may have to uh, say it a couple times as my pronunciation is not great, but uh, anthropopathism or anthropopathia. I've never heard of that. Well, it's, it's a figure of speech that basically where we take the feelings and thoughts of humans and we attribute them to an infinite God. Okay. And so in some ways, you know, there's an example in Genesis 6, uh, 6 where he talks about that God, that God said he was grieved that he made man on the earth. Yeah. But we're still here today. You know, he didn't go back and change his mind and get rid of humanity. And, um, but he did regret it. He regretted it, but he didn't, he didn't change his mind and go back, um, about creation. 
And so again, there's, there's this also this concept of our finite minds trying to, in some ways, understand the infinite mind of God that we'll never be able to grasp as well. Yeah. For, oh, for sure. Yeah. Yep. But in this story, did God change his mind? In Jonah 3, did God change his mind? He said he was going to do one thing, and then he didn't do that thing because of... Well, I guess it depends on what he mean by changing his mind. Okay, let's get into another yeah. one. I think this is where we're going to get some pushback, maybe even from you. Um, another one in Exodus... Actually, let's go to Genesis. I think Genesis 18 is probably the most obvious one. Um, this is a story of Abraham and the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. God says... Um, that he's going to destroy the city of Sodom. And Abraham basically begs him to not destroy the city if he finds 50 righteous people there. Um, so I don't know if I want to read all this because it's fairly long. Uh, it's Genesis 18, 22 through 33. Um, but essentially, Ab- Abraham asks, he says, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 within the city. Will then you sweep away the place and not spare those 50 righteous people who are in it? Far be it from you. Imagine talking to God like that. Far be it from you. <laughs> Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. If you know that story, you know that it goes on. And Abraham asks, if you find 45, and if you find 40 righteous people, and if you find 30 righteous people, if you find 20 righteous people, if you find 10, will you destroy the city? I think it gets all the way down to 10. And Abraham, or God says at the end in verse uh, 32, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy the city. And so the Lord went away, and when he had finished speaking to Abraham, Abraham returned to his place. What was God's intention before that conversation? Well, before we get to that, are yeah. these conditional comments that God's making, or are these unconditional? Well, the one in Jonah seemed to be unconditional, from my perspective. Um, there was no promise of, if Nineveh changes its mind, then I will relent. Um, if I remember correctly, I, could, I guess I could be speaking complete false, falsely right now, but if I remember correctly, God gives Jonah a charge to go to Nineveh and tell them that they're going to destroy the city in 40 days. And I don't think there's a, a, a condition. And same thing here with Sodom. I don't think that there's a condition attached to any of these. Um, well, in this one, though, there is, because, again, doesn't Abraham says if there's 50... Well, so, so that's what I'm saying. So before yeah. this conversation, mm-hmm. God is going to destroy Sodom, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, but it's consistent with his character, though, too. Again, and, oh, it, it is. And it goes back to, again, the bigger picture of salvation, right? It is. As well. It's definitely consistent. God is uh, abundant in grace and overflowing in mercy. So it's not, uh, it's not inconsistent. But in this passage, if you ignore every other chapter in the Bible, in this passage... God has a plan, and does he change that plan based on his conversation with Abraham? If you just read this passage, it would look like he did. Okay. But if you look, that's all I want. Yes, okay. That's all I want. Fair enough. If Fair God enough. if you just read this passage, because again, this is maybe a if you're a if you're a cavalier person, this is maybe a George Washington verse. 
so I understand that it's a little uncomfortable, but did God change his mind? And he changes it actually like eight times because it goes from 50 to 40 to 30 to, so maybe five times, down to 10 people. Math major, huh? Yeah. God changes his mind, it seems like. There's another story, we're not going to get into it, with uh, the golden calf when they're on the mountain with Moses. And he says, I'm going to destroy the Israelites because they're wicked people. And Moses says, remember your promise to them, don't do that, and God relents. So it seems like there are stories in the Bible where God changes his mind. But then we come to verses like Numbers 23, 19, and it says that God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? And then in Hebrews 13, verse 8, it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So from those two verses, does God change his mind? No, he's consistent. He's consistent. He does not change his mind. But from the last two verses that we looked at, does God change his mind? It appears so. It appears so. See, you're still, you're hanging on to that. It (laughs) appears so. Um, I've learned not to be definitive with answers as I've gotten (laughs) older. Okay. Because there's always another side to it. You know, this is, it's similar back to, you know, to your coin analogy. Yeah. You know, I'll use a, a more crass analogy. So um, I had a toothache mm-hmm. and when I went to the dentist, the dentist I went to only could do a 2D x-ray and couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. But I kept having this toothache when I would have certain liquids or foods that would hit this tooth. And so he referred me to another dentist that had a 3D x-ray. And so with this 3D x-ray, which is all-encompassing, they were able to see there was actually a crack in this tooth and that was what was causing the issue. Okay. But if I didn't have that extra, uh, that additional um, x-ray or didn't even know there was an, yeah. another, you know, dimension, so yep. to speak, to look at. You would have been completely blind to it. Yeah, and I would or have had toothache, or I would or have toothache for the rest of my life. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good analogy to this. Yeah. Very good. So one final one. We're, we're not even going to get into the bombshell one about God regretting, although we did a little bit. But there are two verses in the Bible where it says God regrets a decision that he's made, which you can look them up on your own. They're 1 Samuel 15, 11, and Genesis 6, 6 through 7. So we're not even going to get into that. But if you want to have some fun, go for it. The last one we'll talk about is the death of Jesus. Pat, who is responsible for the death of Jesus? Well, it could be... Um, What's the Sunday school answer? Well, Jesus. No, <laughs> yeah, true. It could be the uh, the Jews. Okay. It could be Pontius Pilate. Okay. It could be um, we talk the about Romans. It. it could be... You, yeah, I mean, there's a various... Yeah, but in essence, yeah. it's mankind. Okay. Yeah. Matthew 26, uh, 3 and 4, tells us that the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas, they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Then there's a few other verses in John 11 that talk about plotting to take Jesus' life. Um, in Matthew 27, it talks about the Romans, who were the, the actual people to crucify Jesus, to nail him to the cross, um, and to pierce the Roman soldier is the one who pierces his side. Um, the peep, The crowds... When, they, when Pilate addresses the crowd and says, what, what should I do with this one? And they say, crucify him, crucify him. So, so the crowds are, you know, they give their desire. Um, and then even in, 
I don't know, I think it's Peter's famous sermon in Acts 2. Um, he talks about the wicked men putting Jesus to death on the cross. So there's all these verses. I mean, it's a, it's a foundational biblical truth that we humans are the ones who put Jesus to death, who are responsible for his death. Okay? Good? So far, so good. Okay. What do we do with Acts chapter 2? Verses 23 and 24 says, But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help, so apparently the Gentiles are the help to God, with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. And then in Luke 22, a really famous passage, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and he asks Jesus, or he asks the Father to basically not do what he wants to do. He says, Father, if you are willing, so who's willing right now? God. Your God is. If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So whose will is being done when Jesus is being killed? It's God's will. Okay. So it's God's will. Acts 2 tells us that it was his prearranged plan was to kill Jesus. Who is responsible for the death of Jesus? <laughs> well, at the end of the day, we are because we are enemies of God. Okay. Before, but he's allowed us because and the wages of sin is death. That's okay. what he said. So God has provided a way to not be enemies with him anymore, and that's through salvation, okay. right? So is God changing his mind by that? I mean, his character seems to be consistent throughout because, again, we're enemies of God. But, oh, I completely agree. Yeah. But who's – everything you just said is true. Mm-hmm. Whose plan – who who is responsible for the death of Jesus? Is it people or is it All God? All above. Okay. It's yeah. both. Yeah. Okay. It's definitely both. The The Bible affirms both of those realities. So what do we do? What, what do we do with all of these things where the Bible affirms that in the exact same scenarios multiple times, this is just, I think we went through four examples. This is just four examples of many where somebody does something and they are held responsible for it. And also God is responsible for it in the background or something like that. Um, we think of Joseph, Pharaoh's wife, or not Pharaoh's wife, Potiphar's wife, um, Pharaoh, Jesus, um, God changing his mind with Moses and Jonah Abraham. and Abraham. Yeah. yeah. There are these two paradoxically different realities that are both affirmed in Scripture. What do we do with that? We talk to you. We talk- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't talk to me. Uh no, it's 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 a it seems like a conundrum, but at the end of the day, what we have to go back to is is God's character changing throughout this. No, and it's not. It's not at all. Exactly. And if we're looking at things from one viewpoint only, going back to the coin again, we're going to see things with one one mm-hmm. set of lenses. Mm-hmm. But that's why what God has provided us in in the Bible is He has given us such depth to the to His Word that there's more than just one way to look at this. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, when we're, we're struck with these things, there are some times too where our finite minds aren't going to understand oh, yep. for sure. But I think at, at the end of the day, what we look at is, um, has God's character changed on this? No. Does it appear that certain things have happened? Maybe he changed his mind. Maybe in our finite minds, maybe that appears to be the case. But again, that's why we need to do deeper digging. That's why we need to look at things from different angles and ask questions and challenge um, maybe some of our thoughts. Again, we talked about in a previous podcast as well. Don't just take something that we see for granted, but look into it further and dive into it. Because again, at the end of the day, you're going to find there's a both and that go together with this. With everything in the Bible. With every crucial thing in the Bible, is is Jesus God or is he a human? Well, he's fully God and he's fully, fully man. man. Yep. Who wrote the Bible? God and men. Yeah. I mean, men physically, tangibly wrote it yep. through the, you know, the inspiration yep. of God. God is the author of the scriptures and people are the author of the scriptures. It, it's a reality that we have to hold both of those seemingly opposite things intact and not let our maybe natural predispositions guide guide how we think about some of these things. Yeah. Um, so I think there's four conclusions that I think I want to end with. But first, I want to read this little, I thought this was funny. This is a guy named A.A. A. Hodge. He was a professor, and he used to, to ask his students this question when they got to this topic. Uh, so do you want to read the response, and I'll read the questions? Okay. Sure. Uh, does God know the day that you'll die? Yes. Has he appointed that day? Yes. Can you do anything to change that day? Nope. Then why do you eat, Pat? Because oh, I like eating, but I eat to live. You eat to live. Okay, what happens if you don't eat? I get cranky, but eventually I would die. Yeah. Uh, if you don't eat and you die, then would that day be the day that God appointed you to die? In a roundabout, roundabout way, it would. Yeah. So, like, that's, I know that's silly, but that's, like, the best way I could figure out to describe this. It's like, okay, do I wear a seatbelt? Like, why do I wear a seatbelt if God knows the day I'm going to die? I don't know. Maybe because I'm going to die in a car accident without a seatbelt, and that's the day that God ordained me to die. But I don't know. Or maybe you die with a seatbelt Exactly. So it's like, why? But But God's given us these... Our human mind processes to think through these yeah, things that yeah. says, you know what, chances are that you're going to have a longer life if you do yeah. follow these particular rules and such. So I think at the end of the day, we have to affirm what this teaches us is four things, and they all should inspire us to just be in more worship of God because of how bigger and more beautiful and more majestic and how infinitely mysterious and yet knowable he is. Um, first, I think we need to affirm this, that God is in control of everything from the weather to nature, to earthquakes, to tsunamis, to even our individual choices, to bad things that happen, to terrible things that happen. That's the first thing. Second, I think we need to affirm that we are in control of our own choices, that we have the freedom to make bad choices. We can make terrible decisions. I have the freedom to stand up or sit down right now. I'm I'm sitting, but I could stand up right now. On my way home, I have the choice to drive my car into a building if I wanted to. I have that choice. So that's the second thing I think we need to affirm. The third thing I think we need to affirm is that God never forces anybody to do anything that they don't want to do. So I think Pharaoh is a good example of this. Um, Pharaoh's disposition, his natural disposition, was to have a hardened heart towards God and towards Moses and towards the Israelites. 
God did not, um, Pharaoh didn't want to have a softened heart and God hardened it. It was um, somehow, some way, what Pharaoh already wanted to do. Um, and fourth, and I think this is maybe the most important one, is that what we actually do affects God. Like what you and I do affects God in ways that I don't even think we understand. Um, that, that based on what I do, God actually can get sad or angry or uh, joyful or um, like regretful um, or uh, he can change his mind based on something that I pray to him for yet he never changes his mind at the same time so he changes his mind and yet he doesn't change his mind Uh, when you and i dialogue with him and we pray for certain things and he actually enters into our world and our space and our time uh because he has a desire to have a relationship with us and so even though he's outside of space and time he's involved in our space and time because he loves us and he cares for us and he's a God who is involved in our lives. And I think that's the most incredible news um, that we could maybe share today is that God is involved in your life, uh, even in the mundane things, even in the, the hard times, even in the great times, he's involved deeply in your life. And it's a great way to uh, conclude, which is somewhat of a heavy topic, or a, yeah. it could be a complicated topic. Um, and we hope we haven't lost you in some of the minutiae today, but um, but it's a great way to close, Matt. So. The whole point is we don't have to pick one. Right, exactly. I guess that we, that, that's the, we that's, literally could have yeah. made a 30-second episode. You don't have to pick just one. Uh, and when you do pick just one, you're actually twisting the Bible for your own purposes. Right. So, good way sorry. to put it. That's you know, good finish. So, Matt, quick trivia time. What does AA stand for from AA Hodge, who we just quoted? Oh, um, Art, Artilla, uh, Attila uh-huh. Athanasius. No. no. Archibald okay. Alexander. Oh, that's good. And the last one, Matt, since you got uh, George Washington on the quarter, do you know who's on the penny? Uh, is it Lincoln? It is. Nice job. Two okay. for two. Much yeah. better than I am at trivia time. So okay. anyway, well, with that, uh, we thank you for listening today to this episode of In All Seriosity. Uh, as we uh, have discussed in previous podcasts, uh, please submit your questions and comments to us at our website, which is at uh, www.gotgrace.info. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it and uh, be sure to subscribe at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you may listen to your podcasts and take a minute to review. We'd love to hear your feedback on this as well. And uh, for more information about Grace Community Church, please check us out at www.gotgrace.info. Until next time.